team. We're going to get into the word of the Lord in just a moment. If you have your Bibles, if you'll turn to Acts chapter 4, I just want to remind you to check your emails as Taryn will send out all of the stuff that's coming up. But I wanted to mention Friday night is Come As You Are Ladies event, and Saturday morning is our men's breakfast, and uh, looking forward to a great time there. And then I wanted to again reference our Chain Breaker Conference in July. It's about seven weeks away. It's the 22nd and the 23rd. I am asking, inviting, whatever you want to think of it, for everybody to come to that Friday night and Saturday morning. I know it's a sacrifice. I know it's summer. But I believe the Lord has given us an insight into a powerful dynamic that will change the course of the way you live your life. It has me, and uh, I'm excited about it. And so we're hoping to have a great turnout. We're trusting that the Lord will meet us in a mighty way, and uh, we're excited about what God is doing. So that's the 22nd and the 23rd of July, uh, our Chain Breakers Conference. And so invite somebody to come with you. Acts chapter 4, starting at verse number 5, this is in reference to Peter and John raising the lame man at the beautiful gate. And uh, they are now getting called, verse 5, they are now getting called in front of the council. I have a question for you. When was the last time any of us were called before a council because God used us to heal somebody? Uh, it might happen here shortly. Verse 5, and it came to pass on the morrow that their rulers and elders and scribes and Annas the high priest and Caiaphas and John and Alexander and as many as were of the kindred of the high priest were gathered together at Jerusalem. And when they had set them in the midst, they asked, by what power or by what name have you done this? Power and name. And Peter, filled with the Holy Ghost, said unto them, Ye rulers of the people and elders of Israel, if we this day be examined of the good deed done to the impotent man, by what means he is made whole, be it known unto you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, even by him to this man stand here before you whole. This is the stone which was set at naught of you builders, which has become the head of the corner. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved." Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men, ouch, unlearned and ignorant, that might describe some of us today, they marveled and they took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. 
dumb but powerful. Ignorant but anointed. And beholding the man which was healed standing with them, they could say nothing against it. I want to, with the help of the Lord, preach on this. It's time to recognize your true identity. It's time to recognize your true identity. We are living in an age where one of the biggest things out there is theft of the identity. Can I tell you, while that may seem to be a new thing for us because of the age of the computer and the age of the Internet, that identity theft is nothing new? In fact, the Bible says there's nothing new under the sun. Yes, there may not have been a computer or an Internet in the days of Samuel. There may not have been computer and internet in the days of Jesus. But since the beginning of time, there has been one that has been trying to steal the identity of God's people. Listen, from the time of the Garden of Eden, there was a situation that arose between the serpent and and Eve, and a conversation began, and when you really read between the lines, here's what uh, Satan was saying through the serpent. Listen, Eve, God doesn't want you to eat this because you'll see who you really are. You'll see your true identity. And God knows that you'll become like him. (laughs) Oh, he does the same thing today. He paints a beautiful picture. But behind the picture is total disaster. Why does he do this? To steal your identity. Because your identity is the thing that declares who you are. Somebody will catch this here in just a minute. There's something that is happening in this day and age where identity is being stolen. Can I just tell you, I'll make a political statement, I guess, here today, but if he created you as a boy, you're a boy. If he created you as a girl, you're a girl. Bottom line, end of story, you can try to fix it all you want, change it all you want, but God doesn't make junk. He's the one that created you. You're created in his image. He is the one everlasting uh, uh, being that can speak the truth into existence as though it wasn't. Let me just declare to you what's really going on is is a grasp after the identity of who you are. Why do you say that, Pastor? I'll tell you why. Because God created us in such a fashion that we would function in the role that he has taught us to become. Can I just go beyond the the natural realm? There are people sitting in this house today that even this week God has tried to steal your identity from. He has tried to label you as an addict. He has tried to label you as a bad mother or a bad father, a bad employee or a bad boss. He, He has tried to label you through guilt, through manipulation, through all 
kinds of mess that you get yourself into and that he gets you in trying to get you to, to question who you are in him. Can I just tell somebody you may be unlearned and ignorant, but if you've been with Jesus, the power and the anointing of Almighty God will flow through you. I have often taught that the one number one greatest danger for Christians is simply this that they are not confident enough in who they are in Christ. Can I just tell you in this passage we're reading from a guy who made a habit of sticking his foot in his mouth and saying the wrong thing at the wrong time to the wrong people and not recognizing truth if it slapped him in the face. Simon Peter never evaluated his thought. He just spoke it. He even tried, the Bible says, to pull Jesus aside and chastise him. Think of that. Jesus, what you're saying just can't happen. Oh, it can't? Have you ever had that conversation with the Lord? How's it worked out for you? Didn't work out for Peter either. This man is now in the book of Acts standing upon something that he did not have prior to the book of Acts. He is standing upon an identity that was purchased for him at Calvary. Let me just tell you something. When the enemy starts whispering in your ear that you're no good, that you're not any uh, benefit to anybody else, that you're a bad mom, that you're a bad husband, that you're a bad wife or a bad mother, let me just tell you what you need to do is just simply this, and pardon my vernacular from a preacher, but just do this. Shut up! That's not who I am. I was bought with a price. I've had the blood of Jesus applied to my life. And if Jesus looks at me through his lens of his blood that's righteous and pure, who do you think you are to try to identify me or take that identity away from me? Listen, if you have been born of the water and of the spirit, you are his. So stop cowering. Stop questioning. If you're questioning that, you're walking after the wrong voice. Romans chapter 8 verse 1 says this, There is therefore now no condemnation. Some of you are newer, so i got to give this quick lesson. If you are feeling condemned, if you think you're rotten, that's a lie from the adversary. Because two things. Number one, I already said it today, but number one, he doesn't make junk. 
And when you feel condemned, what you're really saying is my identity in him is not worth anything. But if you feel convicted, and here's the difference. Condemnation will drive you from Jesus. Conviction will drive you to Jesus. (laughs) But if you feel the conviction of the Spirit, all that's trying to do is regulate your identity. So I got real wise this week, and I Googled something. How do you reclaim stolen identity? I hope none of you have ever had to do this. I know Dave Johnson's been fighting with Facebook and the guy on Facebook that has done so. But they tell you that there are five steps to restoring or reclaiming your identity. Number one, take inventory of the damage. Oh, how many have ever just made a dumb decision? Don't look at your spouses. Just dumb decision. I just made a dumb decision. We all do. And when we make those decisions, when we start feeling bad about it, when we start struggling with it, when we start having trouble with it, we like to blame the enemy when it was our own dumb decision. And when we have that happen, what's really happening is the adversary is using that opportunity to steal your identity from you. So you begin to question everything that you have done, everything that you have been, everything that you have accomplished, and all he does is point out all of the negative stuff based on that dumb decision. So in order to get back your identity in Christ, you have to first survey the damage. And here's the exciting thing, is it doesn't matter how bad the damage is, the cross is stronger still. It doesn't matter how messed up you became, the blood of Christ and the name of Jesus is powerful to change it all back to the way it was supposed to be. So number two, freeze your credit reports. Can I just tell you, I'll, let me put it to you this way. We were taught in leadership that living for the Lord is like operating a bank. You put stuff into it so that when a situation arises that you need something, you can pull something out of it. If you don't put anything into it, there's nothing to pull out of it. Does that make sense? And, and so when you freeze your credit, report, what you're really doing is you're locking in place at that moment exactly what is true and right in your accounts. Jesus has already done that for you. What do I mean by that? I'll tell you, you can't do anything to earn his love. He already chose it. You can't do anything to earn his communion, he's already deposited it. 
In fact, what you don't understand is that he has access to your accounts and daily he is putting into it so that when a situation arises, you're not drawing on your own ability, your own understanding, your own uh, emotions. You are reaching into a bank that is of heavenly in nature and you are drawing off the things of Jesus and he's already paid the ultimate price. Your bank account is huge. So let me ask you this. If you had a billion dollars in your bank account locally, first of all, I want a loan. Second of all, you'd think you were sitting pretty good. And you wouldn't worry about whether or not you're going to have a meal this afternoon. Because if you just have plenty of finance in your accounts, it doesn't even become a concern of yours. Can I just tell you, it's the same with Jesus. He said it this way. Let me put it to you in King James Version. Take no thought for tomorrow, what you're going to wear, what you're going to eat, where you're going to go. Tomorrow will take care of itself. If I can see the number of hairs on your head and I can see the sparrow, I will take care of you. So when the adversary comes and tries to beat you down and steal your, just freeze it right there. And just say, "Mm, let's reevaluate for a second, Mr. Satan. Your blood is nothing to the blood of the Lamb. Your word is nothing to the word of God. Your name is nothing to the name of Jesus. I think I'm pretty good. Number three, contact the companies that are involved. Listen, we are under a mandate to let people know that are around us. This isn't about me, it's about him. Somebody tried to steal my identity. Somebody tried to trip me and make me fall. Somebody tried to destroy me, but they were not successful. I froze the credit. I made sure the damage is under control. I am who I am. Listen, I've got a friend that you need to meet. His name is Jesus. He'll take care of it for you too. Number four, fix your credit. And number five, monitor your credit. So if any of you have ever had that happen, just those are the five steps, according to Google. And it's actually according to Forbes. I said all of that to get us to this day. For those of you that haven't been around the church, today is a very special day. This is called Pentecost Sunday. It's seven weeks after Easter, seven weeks after Passover. It is a Christian celebration based off of a Jewish feast. The Jews in the Old Testament, what was called the Feast of Weeks, I believe, from the time of the Passover, seven weeks would transition, and they would have a big celebration about the first harvest. And it always happened somewhere around May or June. That's why we get our dates the way we do. And, and so the church, the Christians, kind of adopted this celebration based off of Luke, who was a doctor that wrote the book of Acts. And I said that to say this, Acts chapter 2 is where we as the church gain our first true identity. In Acts chapter 2 verse 1, 
it says, and when the day of Pentecost was fully come. The day of Pentecost is not a magical term. It's just the feast of celebration. And if you Google this, it'll tell you for the Christians, it is the beginning of the church or the birth of the church. And, and, and so you can see that as much as you want. I will tell you this, I have gone back and forth because people like identities. What kind of a church is Spirit of Grace Church? Well, there's so many denominations out there, and as soon as you label what you are, you put yourself into a box. Let me just tell you something. We are not a community church. We've got people that drive from Delano, from Stillwater, from sometimes we have some people that come from Apple Valley all the way up north to Itasca. That's not a community, that's a region. So to say that Spirit of Grace Church is a community church is not true. We are not a non-denomination church. Maybe 25 years ago we could have labeled ourselves that. But non-denominationalism has become a denomination. And it places you in a box. We are not a Baptist church. We are not a Catholic church. I'd get kicked out of Catholic church probably. We are not a Lutheran church. So what kind of a church are you? I have used the word inter denominational, meaning we've got different stripes of all kinds that come to this church. But can I declare to you what the identity of this church is and, and it has, over the years, has taken a struggling concept because of misunderstanding of what these words were and some people have never even heard what these words so I'm going to declare it to you today because I want us by the end of this to claim our identity in Christ. Our identity is through Jesus and Jesus only. It's only through him. If he's the only way to get to heaven, then he's the only one I want to be identified with. <laughs> and we are identified as apostolic Pentecostals. Now, I want to say this because that has become a denomination in and of itself. So I need to declare to you what I mean by apostolic Pentecostal. Apostolic simply means, according to the Scripture, that the church is built with the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone that's what I mean by apostolic. It's not a man-made organization. It's not a man-made list of things. It is simply this. I want to build my church upon the church that started in the book of the apostles, the Acts of the apostles. Jesus said it to this way to Simon Peter, upon this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. That was the understanding of who Jesus was. But when they had the understanding of who Jesus was, they began to establish a church that was apostolic, the foundation of the apostles. Does that make sense? 
And Pentecostal simply comes from the fact that I believe that the birth of the church happened on the day of Pentecost. Now let me get this to to, to your understanding. This was 50 days after Easter, if you will. And we like to... We like to claim the death, burial, and resurrection and the ascension of the Lord. And and I claim that as part of our foundation. But they celebrated the harvest of the sacrifice on Pentecost. We are Pentecostal in the fact that we are celebrating what Jesus did through the death, the burial, and the resurrection and ascension. We are celebrating on the day of Pentecost, the 50th day after the sacrifice of the Lord, that we can identify then that we are Pentecostal. We are part of the harvest of the Passover. It lets me know my identity is found in what Jesus said to Simon Peter, and when he established it in the book of Acts, the Bible says that Peter stood up and so did all the other disciples or the other apostles. And on top of that, We are established as a church, not only on what Jesus said, but on what Jesus did. So we are the harvest of Calvary. I don't know what that does for you, but that lets me know that he loved me so much that he gave his life on Calvary. Not so that I would wander around without understanding who I was, but that I would understand that I am a blood bought Christian. I am the one where the price was paid and I am his harvest to celebrate. (laughs) I am to the point in my life where I can't back away from who I am. I remembered when I started my ministry, I tried to pattern myself after people. And so when I would teach, I always did this. Do you want to know why I always did this? Because Dave Norris always did this. If you ever sat in his class, he'd always, when he was teaching, he'd always go. It's like he was grabbing his lips. I don't know what he was doing. But I tried to do it myself simply because he did it. Because he was my hero in teaching. Then I would hear some old-time preachers. One of the greatest old-time preachers I never got to hear in the natural because he lost his voice when I was born. Not because of me. But I was born in 1970, and he lost his voice right in that time, S.G. Norris. But I've heard some of his old tapes, tapes, cassettes. If you don't know what that is, ask somebody that has gray hair. And he, I could just picture him, old-time preacher behind an old-time pulpit. And if you listen to him, he just lets it rip. So I tried to be like SG. I never tried to be like my home pastor, Robert Saban, because he was too smart for me. 
I'm just now getting to where I can maybe study like he studied and put some things together. It's, it's been a while. What am I saying? I'm saying I've gotten to the point in my life where I have recognized that my identity is not in somebody else. It's not in how I do something. It's not in how I act upon something. It's upon what he has done in me. And some of you have been struggling in the last few days and weeks and maybe even months trying to figure out who you are. And there's 1,500 voices that seem to be whispering into your life saying you're not this and you're not any good at this and this is who you are and why don't you just give this up because you'll never be able to do what I've been able to think that I could do and et cetera, et cetera. You know the, you know the story. Can I just tell somebody today? And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, when the day of harvest celebration was fully come, my identity is in the fact that the shepherd, the farmer, the judge, the king of kings has harvested me. I am in his flock. I am in his crop, if you will. I am identified by the master because I have experienced the apostolic Pentecostal move of the anointing of God, and it has come to define me. Do I believe all denominations? No. Am I denominational? No. I am simply found in the book of Acts. I'm found in the Bible. If the Bible says it, I'll teach it. If the Bible doesn't say it, I won't. But the Bible tells me that this church called the universal church, if you will, was built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Jesus Christ himself, the chief cornerstone, which lets me know the Old Testament is good. It lets me know the New Testament is good. It lets me know I need to read how the apostles absorbed what Jesus said and acted upon it, and what they did became what I want to do. They were all with one accord in one place. We've got so many different people here, which is awesome because the word one accord doesn't mean that they were all here in agreement. It means that they were all here doing their part. It's a symphonic sound, if you will. One accord means coming together almost as a symphony under the direction of Jesus himself. And whether you're a tuba player or a flute player, you have a part to play in this symphony. One may be louder than the other, one may be quieter, one may be sweeter than the other. Well, somebody here may be playing the drums, somebody may be playing the harp, somebody may be playing the trumpet, whatever it may be. But when that's all operating, we come together in one place. And suddenly, let me just say that just means unexpected because there was nothing sudden about it. The Lord had been planning this. There came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. Now, I need to tell you something and just break this down and let me do a little teaching. 
But that word filled there in verse 2 is a different Greek word than the one in verse 4. In the one in verse 2, it renders complete or perfect. In other words, the house became perfect atmosphere for the winds of God. And that word house there is the word oikos and not the word doma in Greek, which means this. It's not talking about the physical building. It's talking about the family of God. And so when the Holy Spirit begins to move in the winds of God, it fills us. What were we experiencing early today? It's the filling. It's the making perfect. It's rendering perfect and ready. It was filling the house. And so verse number 3 says, There appeared unto them cloven tongues like as a fire had sat upon each of them. Verse number 4, And they were all filled. That word fill doesn't mean to be made perfect. That word fill means to furnish. And they were all furnished with the Holy Ghost. Oh, somebody will get this in the middle of the day tomorrow. It's not just about what he pours into us. It's what he is furnishing for us. It's not just the oil of the Spirit that flows. It is the furnishing of the paraclete, the helper, the one that guides us into all truth. We are given the power of the Holy Ghost. Chapter 1, verse 8, you shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. What verse 4 is saying is that they were all furnished with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit Gave them utterance. Listen, if you're new to this thing, don't get freaked out by the speaking in other tongues thing. I'll tell you just, I, I don't have time obviously to teach on it all. But let me just tell you why I believe that God uses the tongues as a sign that he has now furnished you with the power of the Holy Ghost. It's because the Bible says in James chapter 3 verse 8, I believe, that the tongue is the only member of the body that you cannot tame. So Jesus does it for you. We call it the baptism of the Holy Ghost or the gift of the Holy Ghost. There's something that happens when you get in his presence and he begins to move on you and as you surrender to him, and as he takes control of your voice and tongue and you begin to speak, you'll start speaking in terms that you've never known before, never learned before. That's just his sign that says, I just tamed that. I just tamed your tongue. That identifies you. That identifies you. That identifies you. So when you're standing before the council, it will say, you, filled with the Holy Ghost, you may be unlearned and ignorant, but you done been with Jesus. 
so that they can't say anything about it. Have you faced criticism of your beliefs? They may try to criticize you, but they can't say really anything about it if they recognize that you've been with Jesus. So who are you today? Are you ready to reclaim that identity? Are you, re- are you ready to step back, if, as it were, into Scripture and take on what God I d- gave as an identity to his people? It can happen here. It can happen anywhere. I've said it before. You can receive the Holy Ghost in your car. You can receive it in your home. You can receive it on your job. I would suggest that you find a room by yourself when you do so, though, because you may freak out the people around you. I invite you to stand. For those of you that have been fearful of the baptism of the Holy Ghost. And I'll just be honest with you. I've stopped asking who has received it and who hasn't because that's not any of my business. It's between you and Jesus. If you have questions, you can always ask us. But I think churches have tried to label and identify when it's not up to the church to label or identify, it's up to Jesus. So I'm not asking who has received the Holy Ghost before. You'll know because you spoke in a tongue that you never heard before, never was taught before. But if you've never experienced that, it's for you. It's for you. That same Simon Peter of chapter 4 said in chapter 2, it's a promise to you and to all those that are far off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. And you may be standing here afraid of it, or maybe you've tried to receive it and it just didn't happen. Don't panic. He still loves you. This has nothing to do with that. But he's wanting to give you a new identification mark. It's like receiving a driver's license. And then on the back, they have all different classifications that you can punch. He's trying to up your identity. Your identity is found in him when you're born of the water and of the spirit. Your identity is found in him when you're baptized in the Holy Ghost. Your identity is found in him as you resist the adversary. Your identity, and what does that all go back to? Jesus. Well, pastor, you're just a Jesus freak. So be it. He's done too much for me to ever back away from him. Here's what I want us to do. Some of you may have come from 